It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. We begin at six with an emotionally charged day in the trial of a former police officer. Daniel Holtzclaw is accused of sexually assaulting at least 13 black women while patrolling the city's northeast side. Yesterday, much of the trial's focus was spent on the records, where they're kept, where they're held at the Oklahoma City Police Department and GPS tracking of officers' cars. But today, at outburst by the mother of one of the alleged victims, News Channel 4's Adam Snyder joins us live outside the courthouse with more. Adam. And that's right, Linda. It was a small outburst that was truly the talk inside the courtroom and set the tone for the witness testimony that was heard throughout the day. Outside the courtroom, this ever-growing crowd is seeking justice. Who else is out there that's afraid to come forward? Inside the court, attorneys search for the truth. Through 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, there was only one witness called, Detective Kim Davis, discussing a taped interview with the former police officer hours after an alleged sexual assault. The recording, around two hours long, where Holtzclaw denied making sexual advances on two women while in a police uniform. Detectives questioned Holtzclaw at length about a number of things, including his sexual preferences and the timeline of his traffic stops with the two alleged victims. As testimony stretched past noon, an outburst outside the courtroom is making headlines as Holtzclaw was led away for lunch. An outburst that one alleged victim's mother is not ashamed of. I called him an animal. And they came back. And the sheriff came back and told us if uh, it be said again that we would be arrested. I'm a mother and I'm angry that this pig raped my daughter. And I want justice. But in the hours that followed, trial protocol changed. Everybody's got to leave the floor. Hallways now being cleared out before Holtzclaw arrived to avoid another incident. We're not going to have what happened earlier happen again. As an emotional week in an emotional case came to a close. And late tonight, a second alleged victim took the stand. We expect to hear more of her testimony coming up when the trial resumes next Tuesday. 
reporting live in downtown Oklahoma City, Adam Snyder, News Channel 4. Thanks, Adam. Explosive situation down there. <laughs> Man, context of white supremacy, explosive yeah. situation <laughs> in Oklahoma City. Uh, yeah. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully, to share constructive information on uh, the system of racism, white supremacy. Today's date, Sunday, November 8th, 2015. So I have been told uh, we have been talking about this trial since last summer uh, and the importance of it. I've been encouraging uh, listeners to do what they can. If you have a blog, if you have a YouTube channel program anything uh whatever you can do to get more people aware uh that this is happening uh and to be seriously concerned as the trial proceeds uh to really be getting the word out because uh the white dominated media has done a horrible job uh to that end uh back with us today uh we were great uh we were fortunate enough to have her on the program with us back in March of this year. You can go back in the archives if you missed Mm it. Uh, It should be there. She gave great information about the organization that she works with, OKC Artists for Justice, and everything that they have been doing at Ground Zero uh, to get the word out about this case uh, and continued effort uh, that they have invested uh, in this case. And we just really appreciative to have them back on the program uh, with us to give more information. Uh, Joining us live again, Miss Grace Franklin. Miss Franklin, you're with us? Yes, I am here. Outstanding. Again, we're so appreciative that you could share a bit of your time and energy uh, with us. Uh, For listeners who might have missed that program, maybe this is their first time hearing from you. Anything that you think would be important for listeners to know about you before we get started? Uh, Yes. Uh, I am a co-founder of OKC Artists for Justice, which is a uh, grassroots organization here in Oklahoma City made up of primarily artists, but we do have regular people with regular jobs who um, are in our group. Um, and we focus, <clears throat> we're focused right now on this trial, on the Daniel Holtzclaw trial, and, and that our mission for the past year and a half has been to get the word out about the details of the trial, about um, the, the procedures that have occurred um, during his trial, some, some, some anomalies that would not occur with any other defendant. Um, and and that's, that's what I can say about myself. <laughs> right on. And you are a black female, correct? I am. I am. I'm an African-American. I'm a black woman uh, who was born and raised on the east side of Oklahoma City. So that is my side of town. That's where I live. That's where I, you know, grew up. My family stays there. Um, and that's part of the reason why it was such um, a slap in the face. Um, Oklahoma, what, what a lot of people don't realize, because many people don't even know where Oklahoma is, uh, Oklahoma City is a small city. We're, we're what you call a, a big, small country town, but kind of metropolitan. We are growing. You know, we have an NBA team here. Um, so with economic growth become, comes... Uh, more disparities between neighborhoods. Uh, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Um, the east side of Oklahoma City has, has seen a lot of uh, trials with economics. And, of course, just like most black communities, we have a uh, tenuous relationship with the police department. Uh, so we're, we're just like many other cities uh, on the African-American side of the city. Uh, it, it's not that different um, than than what most communities go through. 
unfortunate. And I think that will come out that uh, what Daniel Holtzclaw has been doing, uh, accused rapist, accused sexual terrorist, uh, that that is pretty widespread in the system of white supremacy. Um, before we get to some of the details of the trial this week and, and further anomalies and this explosive situation down there, um, I told listeners last week, I guess, number one, this trial, he got moved again, and they really didn't say very much about that. The original trial was supposed to start on mm-hmm. October 27th, and they moved right. it to the beginning of last week at November 2nd without much fanfare, without even much of a sentence uh, in the mainstream media. But what happened, or at least from my perception being way thousands of miles away from Oklahoma City, the event in Stillwater that happened just a few days ago, the big accident, Oklahoma State, I think mm-hmm. we talked about it briefly on the program, but the big, uh, this white woman uh, was intoxicated and ran through a crowd and killed several people, injured many other people. I said, man, that event, in my view, is going to knock a lot of focus. It's not like there was a whole lot of attention on the Holtzclaw trial situation anyway, but that is going to big time divert a lot of attention away because you had a lot of white victims and the woman who did this was a white woman. And every time I go to the main website, that's what's on the front page. Stillwater. Oh, my gosh. This woman, did she have mental orders and the vigil for the victims? Just before we get into the details, can you talk about that since you're right at ground zero? Yeah, I mean, that that accident that happened uh, was tragic. It is a huge um, story here, primarily because of where it is. You know, it's OSU, it's on a college campus. You know, a two-year-old child was killed. So, you know, that story has taken um, some light away from the Daniel Holtzclaw trial. Um, but, you know, that... That's something that will die down. That's a story that will be with us much longer than the Daniel Holtzclaw trial will. Um, that story will stay in the media for at least two, three years. We're going to be talking about it for years down the road in the media, not, you know, just in, in, in regular society, but in the media. They'll do backup stories and follow-ups and all of that good stuff will happen with that. The Daniel Holtzclaw trial, once this is over, it's pretty much going to be over. Um, so it does take some attention away, but my feeling about the media is you all can do, you know, you can multitask. You can handle more than one big story. It's, you know, you do it all the time. So they're using that as an excuse not to, um, give as much coverage to the Holtzclaw case, but they've been doing that the whole time. It's been, you know, part of the reason we're down there is because if we feel like if OKC Artists for Justice wasn't down there, um, you know, protesting, there wouldn't be any coverage at all because part of the coverage is that we're outside. Otherwise, they'd never say anything about it, ever. Um, they want the conflict. Part of what the media wants is the conflict, is the tension. They want to heighten that, which is fine. We'll, we'll take that and, and use it as a different platform. Um, I think the media coverage has been lacking it's been lacking locally and nationally and with the osu incident um it's just another reason to put it on the back burner but you know media can handle more than one large story it's not um it's not a one song dance they can do more than one thing they choose not to they choose not to well said um and 
just before we get in, into some of the details of what took place this week and any up, updates you want to give us, things that you think are important that took place from the time you were last with, uh, with us this spring, uh, I just want to emphasize this is people should not be thinking about this case as an isolated incident. Uh, I've heard a lot of people who the descriptors the that they have used have included surprising, stunning, shocking, unbelievable and none of those words should apply with black females being raped by enforcement officers uh, black people being molested and abused period those terms should not apply this is standard operating procedure and I think when we spoke back in March I mentioned uh, referenced the work of uh, Danielle McGuire uh, she's been a guest on the program she wrote the book at the dark end of the street uh, black women rape and resistance a new history of the civil rights movement from Rosa Parks to the rise of black power and she was on on the program we went over the book in detail just to read a quick section uh, and then get your thoughts and then we'll kind of get into some of the details of what's taking place this past week uh, and they're talking about Joan Little this was a black female uh, she was in uh, prison and a white officer uh, attempted to rape her and she defended herself she ended up killing him and uh, this went to trial this became a big issue this was uh, like the uh, early 1970s uh, but she discusses this this is like a whole chapter in the book this trial and the response to it and how it highlights a lot of these issues and one of the points that they made in the trial she makes in the book is that this is common this happens on a regular basis and used to be talked about a lot more how routine this is but uh, Daniel McGuire she writes uh, as prosecutors struggled to present a case based on circumstantial evidence defense attorneys placed the case in historical context they argued that Southern police officers had a long history of assaulting and sexually harassing black women in their custody. In the Beaufort County Jail, they said black women were wholly unprotected. Officers kept a camera trained on female prisoners at all times, watching them or peeping at them, as Paul put it, while they showered, changed clothes, and used the toilet. Little testified that when she tried to tie up a blanket to block the TV monitor and protect her privacy when she was naked, officers took her blanket away. She also described how when she wanted to take a shower, she had to call the jailer, jailer and have him turn the water on. Then he would stand outside her cell and watch. It goes on to describe that it was not just Joan Little, that it was several other black females had the same experience of being sexually terrorized, where officers made it very plain what they were trying to do to these black females that were in custody. Just can you uh, talk about, share your thoughts uh, that this should not be looked at as an isolated incident? I think that um, when you talk about men in power, um, and this is, you know, rape, and sexual assault is not about sex. It's about power. It's about imposing your will on somebody you deem weaker than you or imposing your will on somebody you don't see as a human being. You see as a piece of meat. You see as somebody there to pleasure you whether they want to or not. So when you're talking about elements of power, um, it's a way to terrorize women to say, you will do what I say. You will do it how I want you to do it. So if we think about um, how many times women are pulled over or um, in the case of the Holtzclaw case, the fact that you targeted women who had already had contact with the system, poorer women, women that if, if they go to court, it would be a he say, she say, um, 
situation and who's going to believe these poor drug addict black women over him, uh, I think it's, it's a serious problem. I think it's nothing that's new. I think it happens. Um, and it's not always, you know, as, um, as extreme as rape. Sometimes it's merely how they look at you. It's merely what they say to you, how they speak to you. When, when you get pulled over, how close they are in proximity to your body, uh, it's used as intimidation. The threat of rape, the threat of sexual assault is there many times. Um, and so I think, I think when they talk about heinous or, or this is something I've never seen before, I think what they're talking about in the Hope Claw case is how ridiculously obvious it was, how he basically didn't cover his tracks. He didn't, um, he was just blatantly raping and pillaging on the east side of Oklahoma. That part may be what is shocking to some people, but I don't think it's unheard of for a police officer to rape a black woman. I don't think it's unheard of for a police officer to rape any woman because it's an issue of power. And when you got me handcuffed in the back of a car or when you can walk up to my door with a gun on your hip and just walk in, um, it happens more than we know. You know, rape is, women do not report, women report where one out of three women have been raped. Um, but the reporting of that is, doesn't reflect it. Um, more than half of rape victims do not report. They do not file charges. So we take that number and see how many times that's happened with a police officer. Those numbers would be staggering. Context of white supremacy, uh, in my view, staggering, not surprising, uh, particularly terrorizing black females. Um, getting in with the details with, with Daniel Holtzclaw and what's transpired when you were back with us this spring, uh, some of, we talked about a lot of the things that had happened up to that point in terms of, uh, the bail, uh, it originally being set, uh, and then lowered drastically. I think it got lowered to $500,000, uh, being out, uh, which, you know, should not have happened anyway. Folks can, you know, process that yourself. If you, if this was a, a black person, uh, who was accused of, uh, sexually violating 13 different white females if you think that black person officer or no would be out uh, and chilling waiting you know a year or what have you until their trial started uh he violated the conditions uh of the bond uh, i think he got like 14 days uh in jail yeah. and then they released mm-hmm. him back out you can think about that too if you were a black person and you out you violated and they allowed you to go back out and gave you a second chance uh, i think he had another bond violation where the battery Oh, I think that's new. So he had he had another yeah, bond violation. He, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. He um he didn't charge his ankle monitor. So for seven hours he was unmonitored. And the company that held his bond, which is also <laughs> unheard of, we have a theory about that too. The company that held his bond revoked it and was like, No, mm you're a high risk because you keep doing things. We don't believe that's the only thing that's happened. That's what you all reported. But for you to lose money as a company and revoke his bond means other things were happening with that monitor. We believe that uh, the monitor was offline more than once. You don't just 
as a company, revoke it because of that one incident with, you know, it being off for seven hours. You revoke it because he's a risk. You revoke it because he's doing something that says to you as a company, you know what, this this idiot might do something or he might jump bail. We're rescinding it. We're not going to cover it. Um, and so he has been in jail since August. He's been down, uh, you know, he's been locked up since then instead of being at home in front of his, his TV, relaxing, working out and stuff. But um, that's one of the things that's happened in this case that's uh, an anomaly. How many times have you ever heard of a bail or bond company taking the bond back, you know, revoking it? That's not done often, not in this type of case. That means he was doing something. That means you became a risk to them that they weren't willing to take even for the money. So, yeah, that's another issue we want to talk about. Like, how is it that this man is, A, out on, on bail, went from $5 million, like you say, $5 million, 500000 he gets out, um, violates, 90 minutes, gone, not monitored, not where he was supposed to be because he supposedly went to a, uh, a doctor's appointment and didn't realize he needed to report that. You're a police officer. You live in a house with a police officer. Nobody knew, huh, that you needed to report that. Okay. Get 14 days and get back out, which is unheard of. Uh, for anybody who's black, brown, or poor, you already know that once you violate a house arrest, they pick you up at the house, and you go to jail, and it's over. No, he gets back out. And then, you know, one of the things the prosecutors have upset me with about that is you all did not file for it to be revoked and it should have been they should have been pushing for him to get off house arrest from day one continually not just you know the one or two times but continually um because he's dangerous you know he's he's so arrogant in his supremacy that he doesn't believe he's going to be convicted he's been offered a plea bargain he won't take it because he doesn't believe he's done anything wrong. And he doesn't believe he's going to be convicted, even with all the evidence from the police department. I, I just, the case in itself is just a reminder of how little black women are valued. You know, if this was, I contend, not even if the victims were white, but if the cop was black, if the police officer was black, and you had the black women who were victims, he wouldn't have been out on uh, bail. He wouldn't have been out on house arrest. He would have been locked up. That wouldn't have given him bail. But because he's white and we have to give him the benefit of the doubt and he's not uh, guilty, he's innocent until proven guilty, we give him all these leeways. That's, that's ridiculous, and it's because he's a white police officer. If he was any other type of police officer, that police officer wouldn't be out. But... You know, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. He can't be in jail. He, he won't be protected in jail. That's not safe for him. Well, it's not safe for him to be at home considering he's a, a violent sexual predator either. It's not safe for the rest of the community, particularly the east side of Oklahoma City. So I just got upset. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, uh, no apologies needed. No apologies needed. Uh, this is worthy of anger. Absolutely. Um, 
And I totally agree. If this, if uh, you could keep everything the same, all the victims being black females, if mm-hmm. whole squad was just a black dude, uh, officer or no, I totally agree. He his the bail amount originally, I think it would have stayed five million. It's five million. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. that. Uh, and no second chance, no nothing uh, for you can no get nothing. out and you can get one mess up and we'll give you a do over and all that stuff. He would have been sitting in his cell until whenever the trial date popped up. I, I strongly suspect right. that's what we would have seen happen over the last 14 months. Um, so things just leading up to the trial. So uh, his attorney, they tried to file for a change of venue uh, mm-hmm. that was denied. Uh, and they tried to get the city, the taxpayers, I guess that would include the black victims in Oklahoma City as well, mm-hmm. to fund his defense fees. And thankfully, that was rejected as well, at least for now. I don't know if they're going to have some continuous about that. But those were some of the things that happened leading up to the trial. Were, were there any other anomalies or anything else important that happened leading up to when the trial began uh, beginning of last week? Um, no. And, and on the attorney fees, what I want to say on that is. There have been civil lawsuits that are that have been filed against him and the police department in Oklahoma City. He went to the city council to ask, you know, for his defense attorney fees uh, for the civil trial. So you want us to pay for you to have a defense because you're violating people's human rights and and all of these things, and you want the city to pay for that, sir, you're not even a police officer anymore. You're not an employee of the city. So how do you have the audacity to ask the city to pay for your defense fees? That's in, see, that's part of it. That's part of that, that, that psychosis. That's white supremacy psychosis. Why would you even think you have the right to ask for that, sir? You're fired. You're not an employee of the city anymore. You're not a police officer. What are you talking about? You just, you, you thought they would say, okay, sure. We'll pay for that. No, it's, it's, it's absurd. This is, it, it's so absurd. It's just, it's infuriating. It's, it's like a circus. Um, with the, yeah, the, nothing else extra has happened except for the white jury situation that occurred. And that's the next the big thing that happened. And I want to say to people, you know, Oklahoma City is, we do have a, you know, we don't have, it's not 50-50 African-American. We're about 10 to 11% of the population. The majority of us live in Oklahoma County. The majority of the black population in Oklahoma lives in Oklahoma County, which is Oklahoma City. So for you to have an all-white jury is not unheard of, let me say that. It's not surprising to me, but it's disappointing, particularly for this case. Um, the black jurors that were eligible, they were, you know, um, not chosen. Um, and it wasn't that many to begin with, but they didn't make it on there. Um and it's not surprising that it's an all-white jury per se because we are in Oklahoma County. You know, we're only, you know, 10 or 11% of the population. But it's disappointing for this trial. It's disappointing. Um, it's also disappointing that the majority of them are men. It's eight men and four women, all white. Women are 50% of the population here. How does that happen? You know, it's... it's 
it doesn't make anyone feel any more confident that he's going to get convicted. We're hoping for it, but you know the system is 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 in full form at this point, um, and with the the evidence that we have, the evidence that the prosecutor has, there's no way he should get off. Um, but as black people, when we see an all white jury, that that instinct ha- happens. That oh, here we go, here we go. It's, it's, here we go. And that's historical. That's because history has taught us that white juries do not impose justice when it has to do with black defendants or black victims. Um, and it's a concern. It's a huge concern. Um, I do want to say one thing about the, the change of venue. Hoofclaw's attorney was saying that uh, he wasn't going to be able to get a... a um, a fair trial because of all the media attention. And we laughed. We were like, what media attention? What are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean media attention? You haven't even seen the full-on media attention yet. And, and you're upset about that? This is a national case. This is a national issue. What? The media is not supposed to cover it? That's a reason to move to a different county? Stop it. Stop it. It hasn't even gotten that much coverage. Stop it. You just wanna you just wanna stack the deck even further in his uh in his favor to get him off. And I'm glad they didn't do that because that would have caused such an issue in this city. Yeah, we would have been on the national news then because it it would have been a full on problem, a serious problem if they would have. So I'm glad they didn't do that. Mm, wow. The Pottawatomie County or something. What? just <laughs> insanity. That is the system of white supremacy. Um, and the, the jury, for people who, if you haven't been keeping up with all this, uh, the jury, uh, they finished that up Monday and Tuesday. I think by the end of Monday, they had that the 12 people that were actually going to be in the jury, that they were all white, eight white men, four white females. And then the next day, they got the alternates, what they said they, they are, quote, unquote, Hispanic. Uh, and I told people my cautions about that. These could be two white people, too. They do have white people who are Hispanic, who speak uh, who speak Spanish and were born in Mexico, wherever they happen to be at. You do have white people. Uh, they even have the category white Hispanic. So this could be a total mm-hmm. white jury, including the uh, two alternates. But nonetheless, um, as soon as I saw that, uh, when you when you said earlier about the the psychotic arrogance of Holt's claw where no, I'm not going to take a plea be- a plea deal. Uh, and I'm going to request that you all pay for my defense because there's no way I'm going to be convicted. I don't care what evidence you have, or what have you, I- I'm innocent. I'm not going to be convicted of anything. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, okay. I-, I may have raped some black females, but they're not even citizens. I mean, who cares? I'm not going to jail for this. Right. That when I saw it was going to be an all white jury, that right, I, I can totally understand why he would have that confidence with the jury mm-hmm. makeup like that. Uh, and yes. who the victims are going to be in this trial, I could mm-hmm. totally see them just saying, man, it's no way that this 
all-white jury is going to look at these black victims, these black females, and say, man, we empathize with you. We understand this is horrendous, and you have been terribly victimized, terrorized, and we're going to make sure that that never happens again and send a strong mess. I mean, I just cannot. My The total context of white supremacy does not allow me to think that that's going to happen uh, in this case or, or any other case with an all-white jury. Did you have any thoughts, just the, the timing? Because I think that came out the same day that the Supreme Court is looking at the case involving, wow, how is it that all these black people get keep getting kicked off of juries? That I think that was the exact same Monday, November 2nd. Mm-hmm. I think I think that, that it is a discussion that needs to be had across the nation, and I find that to be very interesting that that happened the same day um, and during the same time period. There, there has to be a, you have to look at that, particularly in cities and counties where we're concentrated in most states. You know, we're not just spread out everywhere. Many times we're concentrated in the area, and even in those areas, we're still not on jury. And you can't say, if, you, if, you're in a, if you're basing it off of voter registration, look, 2008, 2012, enough black people, if they weren't registered to vote, they are registered now. So, you know why hasn't it changed? Why haven't we become more visible on juries? What, what is it? We are purposely being denied. And even when we show up, you know, we're not being chosen because of you don't want black people on the jury because you don't want, um, there's an underlying, well, you know, they're always going to be for the defense. Well, you know, they see the system. They're always against the system. They can't be biased. But a person who's had privilege can? I, I don't understand that. A person who's grown up without any struggle, without any reason to take off their blinders, they can be partial. They can, but I cannot because I'm black. That, that, that doesn't even make sense. That's part of the supremacy that somehow they can still transcend and be better at something we, sh- we have a right to do as citizens. No, black people, you go sit down. You can't handle things like this. You're too emotional. You don't know how to look at facts. You don't know how to do that. We're going to do it for you. That's absurd. It's just, it's just absurd. Context of uh-huh. white supremacy. I totally agree. Um, if folks have questions you want to ask Miss Franklin, again, she's right at ground zero uh, in Oklahoma City. Uh, feel free to chime in. If you have a question, we'll get your call in. Uh, the number to dial is 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you have a question. Uh, and I got that information I've been following. I would definitely encourage folks uh, to follow OKC Artists for Justice. Uh, follow the Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter. Uh, that's where I 
first got the information that the jury was all white uh, when they gave the initial report on Monday, they released the gender. They said it was eight men and four females, which was reason enough for concern, but they didn't have a racial breakdown in most of the uh, initial reports that came out. Uh, I got that information first from their Facebook group, uh, and then I was able to get confirmation later in the day that some of the media outlets, news outlets, that they did indeed confirm it was an all-white jury, but definitely go there. They have done a fantastic job at just having daily updates and information and different reports that are online so you can get up-to-date with everything that's happening uh, with the trial. Um, so Wednesday, everything begins, they have the jury picked. And so they get started with everything mm-hmm. Wednesday this past week. Uh, Mr. Holtzclaw's attorney, I wanted to get your response to this statement. His, his name is Scott Adams. This is a white man. Uh, and mm-hmm. he's, he's talking about the victims here. So he says, uh, he describes his client as naive and very gullible who was trying to get to know the area which he was assigned. According to Adams, Holtzclaw's lifelong dreams included being in law enforcement. In his opening statement, Adams described many of the victims as street smart like you can't imagine, claiming many of which were high and, excuse me, many of which were high when the alleged assaults took place. I wanted to get your comment first on the street smart like you can't imagine. I don't even know what that means. What, is your, what are your thoughts on that? That that, that means crackhead hoes. That's what that mm, means. Mm. That's what he was trying to call them on the fly. You know, prostitutes, uh, women of the night, street women. You know, there's hustlers. They out here trying to get things from people, and they took advantage of this, this pristine, innocent, naive, big, Six foot two, humongous man who's a police officer. First of all, I don't know a 28 year old man who's naive. Number 55, I don't know a police officer who's naive. Who is a naive police officer patrolling the streets? That's ridiculous. Um, the, the, the high, you know, that were probably on drugs. He brought that up a few times, talking about where you high on marijuana. Listen. People know what marijuana do, marijuana, how a marijuana affects your system. It doesn't cause you to hallucinate. It doesn't cause you to not remember. Uh, cannabis doesn't do that. So if they were high or not, I don't know what that has to do with you forcing a 57-year-old woman to get on her knees and perform all sex on you. I, I mean, and so what? What does that have to do with anything? He's painting those women as um, <laughs> basically as street people, as 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 um, as hustlers, and and that's part of their theory is that you know all these women who have drug problems and and are street hustlers got together and conspired against him. What? It can't be druggies in one sentence and then mastermind criminals in the next. No. That's not what happened. He's trying to make this about women victimizing him, which is absurd. Why? So the 17-year-old that she raped on her, on her porch, she's street savvy? Oh, okay. That is ridiculous. He's just trying to defame their character. And he said from day one that's what he was going to do. You know, he's going to talk about their character. He's going to talk about their past. He's going to talk about their run-ins with the law. 
because those type of women, and see what the underlying message is, is that he, with all his cleanness and squeaky, shiny, wonderful white manness, would never want to touch a woman like that. Why would he ever need to touch a woman like that? Well, he didn't need to. He wanted to because he wanted to impose his will and power on those women and do what he wants to do because he feels like he had the right to do so. You know, the twisting of this into, you know, the infamous, the infamous stereotype of the black woman on the corner, you know, either you're a mammy or you're, you're a whore um, on the corner getting men lusting. We just, you know, we're just out here trying to get money, marijuana, and, and sex and get over on people. What? No. That's ridiculous. Scott Adams, you know, listen, you're a defense attorney. You're doing your wretched job. I, I get that. Um, I'm just hoping that the evidence um, will somehow override his, his narrative of infamous black woman stereotypes. And it's going to be difficult, um, but we have hope that will occur. Because if this was purely a he said, she said case, we'd be in trouble. We would be in trouble uh, more so than we are now because what he's painting, how he's questioning them, um, is deplorable. It's deplorable. It's, it's horrible. Um, basically, he's putting them on trial. And nothing he says has to do with anything with sexual assault and rape. None of it. This should be painfully familiar uh, to folks who have, you know, kept up uh, with some of the high profile trials uh, that have been happening over the past few years uh, where, oh, wait a minute, Renisha McBride, she had cannabis in her system and she was, you know, intoxicated. So even if Ted Wafer did blow her head off, you know, she was uh, out here intoxicated acting a fool. So, you know, hey, what can you do? Uh, We've heard this repeatedly, Trayvon Martin case, uh, the Jonathan Farrell case, repeatedly, uh, where a black person, even the suspicion that they are on some sort of substance Mm -hmm. is, hey, you have carte blanche. If you want to rape them, kill them, both, whatever. Anything goes. They were they were on weed. They were high. They were prostitute, whatever. Just total lack of regard uh, for black life and the black female specifically uh, in this case. Um, Before, I guess get into some of the other things that happened uh, with details that came out later in the trial. Um, Number one, they do not have, uh, this is not like on television, right? Like even if you're in Oklahoma city, you can't like, okay. And so have you all been able to go actually to uh, the trials and, and kind of watch this unfold at all? Yeah. We've had people in court. Um, We we plan to have uh, one of the things that we were able to do uh, was get with some other community leaders and, um, we're going to have people in court. We have a schedule for that. So we're going to have people in court all the time. That's what we need to do. Um, so we've been able to be there, have some eyes there, <laughs> you know, see what's going on. Uh, the, his, I, I would want to point out one thing uh, as far as the Hispanic alternate that's on the jury, the female. Um, she... The reason, the way we found out about that earlier was we had one of our people who were in, who was in court say, yeah, there's a woman on there, but she's not white. So as a black person, 
that's code word for she's not black. She's not white. She's something else, but she she's not black. So she's not um, a Hispanic woman that's brown. Is is the best way I could describe that. She's she, but she is Hispanic. You know, um, but for us, that's not even helpful because she's an alternate. <laughs> so I mean, it's. It's almost like they put that one person on there to say, look, look, we're trying to be as diverse as we can. Here we go. One possible Hispanic woman as an alternate. Here you all go. Don't use the race card because we're being inclusive. I wanted to say that. I just wanted to point that out. That's that side inclusive, you know, it's not all white. For the most part, it is. Yes, it is. Context of white supremacy. Um, I think, at least with from Wednesday to Friday, I think they've had two of the thirteen victims have mm-hmm. testified. Okay, have testified thus yeah. far, and has it been the same pattern in terms of the defense attorney their their strategy just to be that uh, these folks are are not credible. They're on drugs. They have criminal records. You can't believe it. They're super street smart, like you can't imagine. Has that been consistent? Yes. An okay. example of that is. Um, the first victim that testified is the oldest victim. Um, she testified, and then her daughter testified about what her mother told her. This woman, the oldest woman, also has a nephew or a cousin who's a police officer, who's a black police officer that she contacted and uh, asked what she should do, things like that. So after she testified, her daughter got on the stand to testify what her mother told her. So she got up there, she testified and corroborated her mother's story. The first, when the defense attorney came up, the first thing, one of the first things he said to her was, is it true that you have seven, seven warrants out for your arrest? That was his first question to her. Is it true that you have seven warrants out for your arrest? She said, yes. And he said, hmm, what do you think that says about you? And she said, you know, basically, I think it means I didn't pay my parking tickets. He was talking about parking tickets that were not paid or tickets and tried to spin it as if she got seven warrants out for manslaughter. You know, like she has seven warrants out for her arrest, like, and if she had all those warrants out, why didn't you all pick her up? Why didn't you arrest her in the court? Why didn't you do any of that? Because, you know, she had been stopped before a few times herself, and nobody ever brought it up. But you bring it up in court to dismantle her character as if what she's saying is not true because she has warrants out due to traffic tickets. Things like that all day long. Um the only person on the first day that, that uh, the defense attorney really didn't question much was the uh, victim's cousin, her relative. I want to say that's either her cousin or her actual nephew. He didn't ask too many questions of him because he was a police officer, and, you know, the first two questions he asked him, he got he talked to a little crazy because I also was like, uh, you know, I, did, I told her to do what she did, which is report it. Because it was, you know, it was wrong. So he didn't have any questions for him. But for the women who get up there, 
Oh, he's going left on him, pulling up all type of things. The first victim, he said something about in 1988, and this is the oldest victim who was testifying, in 1988, weren't you caught at, at an, illegal, an illegal drug house? And her response was, no, I was at a club that got, um, that got shut down for some violations. He brought up something from 1988 on this victim. She's 57. Really? Really? That's what we're going to do. And that's what he's been doing all, that's what he plans to do the whole time, is to disparage their character, is to try to paint them as, quote, unquote, street-savvy women. Really? That's, <laughs> it's, it's disgusting, and it's difficult. When the outburst um, happened on Friday with the mother, I think what people have to understand is how upsetting it is to sit in that courtroom and have him ask these women questions as if they're lying, as if this is what they want to do with their day is come and testify about how they were violated, how they had to raise their shirts up and, and take their pants down, um, that this is what they want to do in order to get a check later on down the road. It's, it's, it's upsetting, and she was upset, and rightfully so, and rightfully so. He better be glad that's all that happened. You know, it's, it's very tense in that courtroom. It's extraordinarily tense, and we want people to be calm, and we want people to be prepared if they go to sit in and observe while they're here. But what people need to understand is the details of this case are horrible. He made these women do some humiliating things. Um, and these women have children. They have grandchildren. They have mothers. They have sisters. They have brothers. And they're all there in the courtroom. So, um, yeah, Adams is doing a, a, a basic wash job of these women's character. He's, he's specifically and aggressively going after them and saying, this white man would never touch you because you are a criminal, you are a druggie, you are a, you know, you're, you're, you're the lower level of life, so why would he want you? That's what he's doing on the stand, literally. And it's, it's sad and it's upsetting and it's frustrating. Um, but that's what he, that's, that's what he's going to do for the next month, at least. Mm -hmm. Context of white supremacy. Um, just for the record, I'm not aware of uh, drug addicts or no, I'm not aware of uh, a syndicate forming and saying that we're going to make allegations that these officers raped us and see if we can get some money. I am unaware of there being a precedent of that successful. Or I've, no. I've, <laughs> I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never heard of sitting around the table like we're in a mafia movie getting a scheme together. Like this is Ocean's Eleven or something, and we're getting a scheme together. I've never heard of such a thing. Never. Me either. Uh, it, to me, shaking down the police department, that seems like a mighty tough mountain to climb. Uh, I don't know if I would even uh, advise such a scheme, but okay. Um, 
with the what you were talking about with what happened Friday, and I played the news clip at the beginning of the program, uh, which they described as this uh, explosive uh, situation for people who've heard me talk about watching the metaphors and how people describe things, uh, where one of the victim's uh, mother, she called Holtzclaw an animal. And I totally understand what you said about, you know, hey, it's, it's a courtroom and what have you, and we want people to come and, and make sure that they you know are in space where they can be there. Uh, and, and try to stay composed, uh, and this is going to be a difficult situation, and, but we want people to come and be serious about all this. You know, her calling him an animal, I mean, aside from the gra- uh, the fact that I agree, I have seen people in trials that people are upset about and emotional about, mm-hmm. where they're yelling, and it won't just be one person, it'll be a whole group of people that'll be lined right. up outside and yelling and all this, and they'll have to hide, you know, the defendant or defendants and, and get them bulletproof vests. I mean, I have seen things get... I mean, you want to say explosive. I have seen explosive. Right. This was pretty mild. And the response. It was, ex- oh, go it ahead, was go extraordinarily ahead. mild. I, I was just going to say with the the response to that being, oh, we're not going to have this ever again. This is disgraceful. We're going to have to clear out uh, the court facility. Uh, anything like that happens again, you will be arrested. And I'm going, wow, just for calling someone, that's that's grounds for arrest? Like that. That's what I mean in terms of just the way we're going to treat Daniel Holtzclaw and the crimes that he's facing, 36 counts, and the way you treat the mother of one of the victims for just saying animal, it's already threatened with arrest. We're kicking everybody out of the courtroom. I think they even changed some of the procedures. Uh, mm-hmm. No cameras uh, in the courtroom. and they, I think they said someone who had a phone, they thought that she might have been trying to take a photograph and they might be you know, looking at charges for her too. Mm-hmm. It just seems extremely heavy-handed in the way that they're dealing with the victims, their supporters, people that are just there to spectate, as opposed to the right. way that they're treating officer or former officer uh, Holtzclaw. Your response? Um, I think the most interesting thing is that you can hear her on the uh, news report say animal. That didn't sound upset to me. And she didn't say it like she's about to come across the room. She called him an animal in a, and actually a very calm voice. It was just a statement. She did not move forward towards him. She did not uh, throw anything. I've seen people upset in court, and I've seen a whole row of people jump up and go towards a defendant. That's not happening. What they're doing is setting up, I, I believe what the media is doing, is setting up a situation that if we don't have a conviction and if, you know, temperatures do rise, they're setting a precedent to have the military down there at the courthouse just in case because it's so tense and everybody's so upset and you got people jumping up and, 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 and attacking him. The wording is going to change eventually to almost attack, things like that, um, because they're setting up a reason to clear that courtroom, number one, and not have anybody in there. And his defense attorney can go and say, hey, my defendant is unsafe. I want to close the courtroom. He can, he can move for that. And that's what they want. So when we say, you know, try to stay as calm as possible down there, that's because they're going to use any type of incident, anything, to try to keep people out. Anything that happens so we won't be in there to witness and Twitter, you know, and, and respond and, and give live updates. They don't, they don't want us to do that. 
They want to shut that courtroom down, and they're going to use any excuse to do it. She was upset, but she didn't. That was not a threat. That was not threatening to his big six-foot-two humongoid self. He, he wasn't scared. Nothing was going to happen, you know, and they want to use it to say, mm-mm, if you have these emotional black folks on be, we got to shut this courtroom off because we don't want him to get hurt. He has his whole family in that courtroom sitting behind him, and they are not the, uh, yeah, they do what they do in court, too, and there's nothing said about that. You know, his father has approached um, some of the victims trying to talk to them before. They haven't said anything about that, trying to explain to them, trying to, you know, they haven't said anything about that. But let one mother say one thing and call him an animal, not screaming at him, not, you know, throw her purse at him, not, you know, everybody in the front row jump him. None of that has happened. And now... He's under attack. Now tensions are high. Now they've been high. They've been high. And it, it, it's a way for them, I feel, to push us out of the courtroom. It's a way for them to set up, to push us out of the courtroom, and then when it's time for deliberation, to have a higher uh, amount of police force down at the courthouse. That's what I think that's for further intimidation tactic uh, to scare folks yeah. from potentially coming to support or take notes and what have you. I hadn't even thought about, I think that's a, a crucial point right there in terms of getting the courtroom cleared. So you have even less attention. Cause I think they've been, uh, the speculation has been that they think that this trial could last a month at least uh, with all yeah. the, the witnesses and what have you. So this is, I mean, very, very early stages of the trial. If they, you know, do this, you know, sometime this week or anytime soon, we could be missing a lot of information. Do you have any speculation as to, to why they think this is going to be such a, a long trial? Because of the, uh, the prosecutors have a long list of witnesses and so does the defense. So we got it. We have to get through a lot of people, and the testimony is going fairly slow. It's very detailed. The prosecution is is trying to set out a very detailed, fact oriented case, um, and I think they want to have as many of the victims up there as possible to give their account. So there's a lot of testimony. So that's why they're, they're thinking the trial is going to be pretty long, and he has. On, on the defense side, they have a pretty long list of witnesses that they want to bring up to, um, to defend him, to defend his character, you know, to say that the conspiracy is in effect. So that's why it's going to be long. It's going to be a lot of testimony and a lot of, a lot of facts and a lot of, um, yeah, tactics happening. So... At first, they were saying it was only going to be about two weeks, which I didn't understand how that could even possibly happen. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be a fairly long trial. This is going to be at least a month. Um, and I think they're prepping. I think they're, they're prepping to, to close that courtroom. Any, any excuse, any excuse to not have us witness, any excuse to not have, us, to not have our black faces in there, um, any excuse to set up a situation that could be very explosive for real um, and then turn around and say, well, you all did this and you all did that and you all are 
are, are threatening him and you all are intimidating him and intimidating his family and intimidating, yeah, they're, they're getting ready for all of that. Um, so that's why we're so adamant about informing people that when you're down there, try to keep it calm if you can. Um, because it's a bigger picture. There's always a bigger picture. Um, and, and if we're not there to witness, if we're not there to sit in there and support these women, the other thing is about supporting them. A lot of these, some of these women don't have families that can come and support. So, so we have to be there. And that's important. So they feel secure when they're up there testifying. So they know that we're in there just in case. <laughs> so it does go down. Um, but it's, it's, it's so, this case has so many elements of history in it, of, of how the system works and how we're treated in it. The subliminal language in the media, you know, you, you would think that she screamed out animal and threw a, a nine millimeter at his head or something or threw a pipe at him. You know, no, she just said animal. She didn't scream it. She didn't cuss at him. She didn't call him a bunch of names. She said one word. And now it's, it, it's a, a, a kettle about to, blow, about to boil over down there. Really? Really? It's just all part of it. It's the system at hand. It's how we're treated and how it works for us. Absolutely. Do you have any uh, concerns about uh, Judge Timothy Henderson? He's presiding over this case, white male. Yeah, I have all types of concerns about Judge Timothy Henderson. He's the person that um, reduced the bill from $5 million to 500000 So all types of concerns about him. Um, he has a history of law enforcement. Uh, so he is, I feel like, he is uh, sympathetic to law enforcement in a way that a judge should not be. You know, how you would let him out on $500,000 is symptomatic of that. You, you want him to be safe. So I think in his mind, he didn't want him to be locked up in jail. Uh, one of the things that, that I've, I've heard was said was that... Uh, we don't want to spend extra money for the protection of him if he is in jail. Oh, uh, you'll be all right. They'll make it. I'll put him in solitary. Put him in protective custody. Call it a day. Um, I have a lot of concerns about Timothy Henderson, that he doesn't value women. He doesn't value black women. He doesn't do I think is, that's why I know if, Hope Claw was anything but, but white, he'd be in jail. Um, would you let anybody else out on house arrest? Would you let anybody else out on $500,000 uh, bail when they've had six six counts of first degree rape, which holds a life sentence in Oklahoma? Would, would, would that happen? No. It happened because he's in law enforcement and Timothy Henderson has a history of law enforcement. That's his background. So you're biased. You're biased. You're not, you're not on the side of justice. You're not impartial. Um, you've shown it. And, and I have a lot of concern about him. 
I don't believe he's the best judge to be on this case. Oh. Um, uh, I see we had a lot of folks that called in. Um, just one more question before I get to some of the, the folks that dialed in. Uh, when you were with us in March, I think one of the questions we asked at the time was, uh, there are so many uh, white feminists who've been very vocal about, you know, Ray Rice and Bill Cosby and, and these different issues when the perpetrator is a black male. Uh, and we asked, you know, have white feminists, have white women, have they come out to support you all and, and to help get attention on this case? Uh, since I think it's been about seven months since we spoke to you, where are white women coming to support you all down at the courthouse and, and trying to help you all get attention to this case? Oh, white feminists. Um, <clears throat> there's always a few white women who come down and support us, and we're always glad to have their support. Um, but as the, as far as the larger organizations, these organizations that um, are supposed to be here for the protection of women who are victimized, who are uh, in domestic abuse situations, rape, sexual assault, those types of organization we've reached out to no they haven't shown up what they've done is when we reached out to them it was more of a okay fall in line and we'll tell you all how we're going to handle this and we're like no we're not asking you to handle it we're asking you to show support we're asking you to bring your little selves out there we're asking you to put this on your website uh put it out uh to the public use your media contacts so we can have this story nationally uh, covered. Did they do that? No. Because these are the wrong type of women. These are women that, you know, evidently they don't care about, as far as I'm concerned. They're black women. They're poor women. They're women with histories of uh, contact with the system, some of them. And uh, no. No, they haven't been out there in full support. They haven't. Uh, they've started, some of the organizations have started now uh, retweeting something or posting something. But in general, no. Because they want to do the kiss the ring thing. They want to have us fall in line behind them. And you didn't do anything in the first place. You have the same information we have. Where, where were you? Why weren't you out there? Why weren't you saying he needs to be in jail and not have bail? Why, why, why weren't you out there? I bet you'd be out there if they were all white women. I bet you'd be out there if they were, uh, you know, women, black women who were more affluent. But you're not out there now. Because, because these women are not important to your cause, whatever that cause is, because I'm sometimes confused about that, what you all are talking about. Uh, so no, and it's an issue. It's an issue that has to be discussed. You know, when we talk about feminism, the 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 right of a woman to be protected, to live as she chooses, to have equal pay, to have all of those things. We have to talk about one little other subtle thing that nobody wants to address on the table is that black women, women of color have even more disparaging numbers than you all do. And nobody wants to address it. 
you know, where are you when there are black women being victimized? Why aren't you all speaking up then? But you sure expect us to be out there with you. You sure expect us to be out there marching and, and holding signs with you. But you're not going to come for us. You're not going to come and support us. Mm, I'm okay with that type of feminism. That, that sounds like white feminism. That doesn't include me. That doesn't have anything to do with me. Because you're not addressing what I need as a woman. Just what you need. And, and, and that's okay. Because we're not going to beg you for your help. We're not going to ask you. We're not going to beg and plead and, and, and please, please, please come help us poor black women. It's okay. We're going to do what we've been doing since the beginning of time. We're going to take care of it. And, you know, we might see you at a rally. We might not. And we are going to address it particularly for the groups here, particularly for the groups that we know we've reached out to. That, that's going to be discussed. And, and that's a larger conversation for this country, I believe, is about quote-unquote feminism, is about how uh, white women have turned that word into something that has nothing to do with them. Until it's, you know, convenient for you to have our black faces and black bodies there. So that's. <laughs> well said, Ashe. Ashe. Context of white supremacy. Uh, before we get a call, I want to encourage folks. If if I know we have listeners that are in OKC, I, they've called in before. If we anyone, if you're close to the area or you're down uh, to road trip, you have some free time uh, coming up. Uh, OKC Artists for Justice. Uh, they will be having a peaceful protest on Tuesday, November 17th. Uh, you can go to their Facebook page and get more information. It's from 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, and it's starting in front of the OKC Museum of Art Cafe. Uh, this is Tuesday, November 7th. So not this coming Tuesday, but a week from Tuesday. So you have some extra time to plan. Uh, I know we have OKC listeners, Oklahoma listeners. If you are close uh, you want to go and support, you should. I would definitely encourage. Go take pictures, tweet it out. We'll definitely retweet. You can even uh, chime in. You can you can call in and we'll share on the program. But definitely get out and support. Uh, at minimum, go to the Facebook page and get more information uh, because they have been a, a, a just a fantastic resource for this case. Uh, the Facebook page, OKC Artists for Justice. It should be linked in the description. Uh, if you're listening to the program at Black Talk Radio or on the Facebook page, it should be linked. Uh, go and support uh, for folks who, and make sure I get in as well, just huge commendation because I hadn't uh, processed that in terms of these black female victims uh, that are coming to court to testify. Some of them not having family, not having a support system, and having to relive what I would suspect would be probably one of the most grueling you know, dis disgusting, distasteful moments of their life to have to relive this in front of a room full of strangers uh, while you've got a white prosecutor, Scott Adams, trying to convince everyone, oh, you shouldn't listen to this crackhead wench anyway. She's just, weren't you trying to get some money? And what are you doing in 1988? Weren't you at a drugged in? Just to have to endure all of that, to have at least uh, some black people in the courtroom that are there to support. Uh, I'm sure that that 
just means a ton uh, to them. And I think that is worthy of huge commendation just to be there, uh, to be that support system so they can at least focus on, you know, a friendly face in the crowd uh, who's there to to support and who can empathize with them. I think that is is huge and should not be minimized. Uh, the folks that uh, dialed in uh, who have questions, I'm just going right down the line. I think this is Thomas in New York, who has been one of the folks who has helped. He's been talking about this case and making sure I had information and updates the whole time. Uh, Thomas in New York, if you had a question, you should be with us. Good, good afternoon. I was about to say good evening. Good afternoon, Gus. Good afternoon to the, um, to the guests. And um, I commend you so much on what you've been doing to keep this case in the light. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I have questions for you. Um, have you ever heard of um, Eric Roberts? I'm sorry, what was the last name? Roberts. Eric Roberts? I don't believe so. Or how about Jevil Knuckles? Yes, Jevil Knuckles, yes. Yes. Okay, um, well, Eric Roberts was an Oklahoma State Trooper. Um, in July 2014, uh, he had a uh, federal lawsuit filed against him for uh, raping two women during a traffic stop. Um, and he's a highway state trooper down in um, in, in Oklahoma. Um, he turned off his dashboard on six different accounts, including these two um, women that claimed that he raped them. And so you could say probably the six women, you know, that he changed to start and Gerald Knuckles and you say you knew him. Um what what uh, was Knuckles in his case was were these victims white or black? They were white. Eric Roberts They were white. Mm hmm The highway patrolman um around the Tulsa area. All of his victims were white women between about twenty and twenty eight years old. So in the early 20s, um, and for the other one, they, they were all white. Gotcha. I know Eric okay. Roberts all white, yeah. Um, about the case, uh, whole sports case, has the prosecution used the word racism yet during the trial? No. He has he not used shot. the word racism. He, he used the word... Um, he he uses um, predatory behavior. He says he chose the women because they were poor, um, and you know they had history. Um, and he says at the end of that, black. But he doesn't push the racial component very hard. No, he pushes more so um, economics, social economics. Oh, okay. It's classism, not racism. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, would you expect, uh, would you, do you suspect that they'll plant someone in the courthouse to have one of these loud outbursts and maybe, um, you know, they're, they're doing it themselves to have this whole trial shut down? Oh, sure. Why not? <laughs> sure. Why not? I mean, there's, there's been a few incidents that happened in the courtroom. Um, that's just one that was reported, uh, but I, I, I have no doubt that, and not necessarily, um, not, I'm not saying any of the attorneys would, but he has a support system too. He has friends. He has family. Um, somebody could come in that court, sit on the side with us, have an outburst, 
you know, look like us, and all of a sudden now we have a closed courtroom. Or somebody on his side could, you know, stare somebody down or, or do something as a form of intimidation. Some type of outburst happens in the courtroom, and now we have the courtroom shut down. So, yeah, that, that could happen. Um, I, I, I fully believe it. I'm, I'm not one, I'm not one of those people who believe, no, nobody would do anything like that. Of course they would. Of course they would. To get him out of jail? Of course they would. Um, to keep us from witnessing? Of course they would. Somebody would. I think that I, I would be, um, I would be surprised if they don't, you know, um, just to, you know, it, it, just to, just to, just not to shed light and get the media away from it all. Um, I was looking up your demographics down here, and if it was a trial, and they went by the demographics, that's what the makeup of the jury was. I would have eight whites, two blacks, and two others. So that would have made it, uh, I think, a lot more equal. You know, I mean, not you know, eight whites are still eight whites, but at least you have some right. some people that might empathize with the victims. Uh, last thing, um, I believe that last time you were here, you said that his father was a police officer as well, um, a former police officer. His, um, yes. His father and, is a former police officer in Enid, and he also has a um, brother-in-law as a police officer. And you said that the father was approaching some of the victims to try to talk to him? Yes. Yeah. He has approached... Wow. Uh, a few of them um, to side. I, I guess what he's doing is trying to explain how his son would not do that to them. Um, so there's been a few times where he's miraculously shown up at the same place that the victims are and um, has, you know, tried to approach them to say, let me talk to you. Um, my son wouldn't do this. Um, it must be a misunderstanding. You're saying that to a woman who experienced the monstrous behavior of your son. Um, so in that, his family and his, his support system, they're very aggressive in his defense. They're very adamant that he is innocent. They, uh, they believe the hype, you know, and I get that. That's your son. You don't want to believe that, but you are absolutely inappropriate for approaching any of the victims in any type of way. And you know you are because you are in law. You were in law enforcement. You know this. Um, and it's just another example. And that's not going to be reported. That's not going to be talked about. But somebody's mother saying animal is, you know, it, it's, yeah. So that did occur. He has done that. But thank you for taking my call. You answered my next question because I was going to ask what did he say to the people, but um, you you were very you know clear on that. So thank you. That's definitely misconduct. Um, I, I just I just couldn't see that happening under normal circumstances. Um, you usually advise to stay away from the the you know the the victims um, if you're a part of the trial. So thanks a lot, Gus, and um, great show. For sure. Uh, oh, thank you, uh, Kofi. Uh, caller dialed in with a question. Kofi, if you had a question, uh, your line should be open. Proceed. Oh, did you have a question? No. 
Yeah, am I being heard? Oh, yes, sir. We can hear you. All right, cool. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, so I wanted to make an observation and a question. Um, the first observation is that uh, when this first started, there was many whites openly, openly supporting Daniel Hosequaw. Um, I remember I'd go on Facebook and I'd see things like Free Daniel the Claw, Hosequaw, and um, Free the Claw, stuff like that. And now I don't see that too much anymore. I think it would have been good if somebody would have maybe recorded people who were giving money and making those pages. Something like that might have been um, useful, useful now in reporting. Um, and for the question, I, I wonder if anybody has talked about how how he looks. He, um, like when I see him, I kind of Down syndrome comes to my comes to my head. I wonder if if anybody has talked about that at all. And if not, I, I also wonder if the lawyer will eventually use that if, if all else fails that he don't he didn't know what he was doing because of you know some mental issue he might have uh, his his appearance and i think that's a great question i've had a few people talk about that his mother is of asian descent um mm-hmm. so in seeing her uh she looks as if she's maybe korean um and she's of asian descent so that look that he has, which, you know, it is, um, he does look like as if he does have Down syndrome. Um, I think that's just a reflection of his Asian, um, Asian ancestry. Um, so he does not have any mental, uh, he doesn't have an extra chromosome. He's good. So he, they can't come back and start with that he has a mental defects, he, you know, didn't know what he was doing, he has, they're not going to, they, they're not able to do that. I think his look, uh, his features are just basically because his mother is of Asian descent. Um, so that's, that's what that look is. Um, but I, I, I don't, that's a, that's a good question. A lot of people have asked me about that, um, his, his features. Uh, do look as if it, it may be Down syndrome, but it, it is, his mother is of Asian descent. And she looks Korean, is, is the best thing I can say about that. Did that take care of your question, Kofi? Did you have anything else? And that was, uh, maybe, no, nah, not, not right now. But yeah, that, that answered my question. Um, I'm glad to hear that uh, his mom... Uh, that, that, that that's at least talked about and that and answered so yeah it answered okay right on uh the, has his mom been at the trial too you said his support is, his mom has been in the courtroom his, she has okay. she has and and i feel his dad i don't too much care for um because i don't like the way he's you know a little aggressive with the i don't like that um his mom has been there a few days um, I don't think she's been there every day. I'm not, I can't confirm she's been there every day. Um, but she has been there. Uh, and she does, she's not as, um, I don't know, she's not as vocal or she's not as aggressive as as the rest of the family is during the trial. Uh, she does have a sense of mm, sadness in a different way than the rest of them do. Um, so yeah, she has been there. She's been there, 
but not I don't think she's in there every day. Hmm. Okay. Uh, caller, uh, you are also on the vote line. Uh, did you have a question uh, for Miss Grace Franklin? Your line should be open. Uh, are you with us, caller? Dialed in on the vote line. You had a hand up. Did you have a question, or are you just listening? Good afternoon, everyone. Yes, I'm here. I have myself on mute. Um, um, I had a, uh, a couple questions. Um, ma'am, um, I, I do want to say thank you for uh, all the work that you do, you and your uh, organization. Um, I, and I know you can't uh, provide an uh, accurate number for this, but if you were to say just in the Oklahoma City area, how, as far as the black people, how many people would you say, what percentage would you say of people that are, you know, I guess old enough to watch TV and, you know, be a part of, uh, you know, media are aware of this, this whole uh, situation. And then uh, how many people, how many of those people would you say are aware of the, the, the racial like implications of this case? I think two things have happened here. Um, there's a sense of complacency simply because he was arrested, he was fired, and we're at trial. So until the white, the all-white jury happened, I think that the, the black community was feeling like, oh, this is going to work out, it's going to be okay, things are in motion. So I think for some people, it was moved to the back burner. I think at least 80% of black people know about the case, 90%. Um, when it first started, there was an uproar. So we, they, we are aware, our community is aware, but I think we've just become complacent. And I think that because of how everything happened, you know, with him being arrested, with the firing of him, which is also very is an anomaly as well because they usually don't fire, you know, cops until they're convicted. Um, and we're at trial now. I just feel like there was almost a, we're going, we're going on cruise control and going to wait for the conviction. And then the all-white jury happened, and then the component of the, the emphasis on racism and discrimination happened. Then there was a reigniting of this, has to do with race. So there was a little bit of a lull, I think, in our community and a little bit of, of complacency. Um, but now the spotlight is back up. Now the fire has been reignited. Now it's, I don't know. I know in Oklahoma City, the majority of black people say the same thing, which is I can't believe there's an all-white jury in Oklahoma County for this trial. That has reignited it. So I think it, it has awakened people once again and made them sit up and pay attention to the case. Okay, and um, one last question. Um, being that, you know, racist uh, white people do not, you know, like like people that are informed about racism and mm -hmm. just informed about trials such as uh, this, do you feel threat? Have you been threatened or do you feel like you could possibly be threatened just because of, you know, you're active in, you know, researching and, and, and knowing what's going on with the trial and knowing the dynamics, the the racist uh, dynamics of the of the case? Do you feel like you could be threatened or anyone in your organization? And that'll be it. Thank you. 
You're welcome. Um, there's always an, an issue for that. You know, we are, uh, one of my co-founders, the co-founder uh, with me, Candace Leiger, will say, you know, we're a bunch of black people at a courthouse in an open carry state. So, protesting. So, there's always an underlying feeling of we could be threatened, we could be attacked. Um, that hasn't happened thus far. We haven't had the threats. I haven't had the threats. And I think a part of that is because it's not as uh, large of a story as it should be. Um, I think they feel the irritation, but I don't think the supremacists feel pressure. I just think they feel a little irritation and they feel like it's going to go away. So I'm not very worried about that at this time. Um, I, we haven't been directly threatened. I haven't been threatened, uh, but we are heightened. We have a heightened awareness about what is happening. We have a heightened awareness that we could be, um, you know, things could start happening all of a sudden, you know, getting pulled over or all of a sudden I have a ticket from 1992 that I didn't know about. Things like could, like that could happen. They haven't. Um, we're on the lookout, and we're also on the lookout for our safety. So when we are protesting, when we are out there physically, we have things in place to protect us. So as I said, we are in an open carry state, um, and we believe in the right to protect ourselves, and we do that. Ashe, Ashe. Uh, the person that dialed in, uh, Bay Area caller, did you have a question for Miss Grace Franklin? Yes, Grace Franklin. Thank you. Sorry, I'm driving. Um, yes, I have a question. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Super, thanks. Do you think that the O.J. Simpson trial has anything to do with the, uh, the jury? Because I remember the day after the O.J. Simpson verdict, they put in a law that stated there could only be one and a half uh, blacks on a jury of 12. So my question is, do you think that that uh, O.J. Simpson trial had anything to do with the jury um, selections now? Uh, I think that was like a 95. And um, the attorneys that they're selecting now, after Johnny Cochran... I've noticed they didn't. They don't have any more um, dominant attorneys defending the blacks as they did with Johnny Cochran, and that's that's my that's my question. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I think here in Oklahoma, um, that that law doesn't apply that I'm aware of. That statute. I think the all white jury is just a um, a result of good old fashioned southern. Mm, white washed um, I, I, I think that that is an issue for this, this situation. The all-white jury is about selecting from the pool that is most prevalent. And it wasn't that in the pool of, in the jury pool, there wasn't, the percentage of black people that were there wasn't even, I think it was four that made it to the end. Four. That is absurd. So 
the stipulation of how many black people you can have on the jury doesn't even have to apply here when you don't even end up with 10 people in the jury pool in the final, in the final session, which, which doesn't make sense. There are black people here in Oklahoma who have lived here 25, 30 years and never received a jury, um, a jury request. Never. 25, 30 years. That's ridiculous. Um, so there's something in the system that doesn't allow for us to be in the jury pool. Um, so I think the result of the all-white jury here in Oklahoma County has more to do with that than any uh, rule on the book, because I'm not aware that we have a set number of ethnicities on a jury that were really an official one. Um, the lawyers. In Oklahoma, we only, I can only think of one off the top of my head, prominent defense attorney, um, and he does not handle uh, sexual assault cases, just off the top of my head. Um, Scott Adams is the premier defense attorney here in Oklahoma County. Um, he handles big cases, big defense cases for, for white defendants, for black defendants, for he is about um, what many defense attorneys, in my opinion, are about, which is uh, being a defense attorney and all that includes, which is the check, which is um, the media attention, which is the fight. He is a former prosecutor, actually, got out of here, um, and has just switched sides and is now a defense attorney. So here, uh, because we don't have that many prominent defense, black defense attorneys. For here, that's just a, an issue of demographics. I think Holt's Claw got the best lawyer or one of the most uh, effective lawyers in this county. Um, so I think there's, there's different, different uh, bits of racial components here than you would have in, in like, California. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's not something that's on the official books. I think the jury selection is about the system that we have that even gets us in the pool to be selected, um, and that we just don't we don't have that many prominent black attorneys. But I do agree that across the country, I don't know of another Johnny Cochran right now, um, and we need some Johnny Cochrans. We really do in our community. On uh, Bay Area call. Did that answer your questions? Yes, thank you. For sure, for sure. Uh, caller, last four digits five four two five five four two five. Did you have a question for Miss Franklin? Uh, caller, did you have a question uh, for Miss Franklin? Hello, can I be heard? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry for the delay. Um, thank you for taking my call, Gus, and to the guests. Uh, greetings, you guys. Happy Sunday. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was uh, paying very close attention to the trial in, uh, in OKC. Um, and, yeah, just like the uh, previous caller did mention, it does. It did look like the officer had, like, mild traces of Down, Down syndrome or 
whatever. But like you said, it could be just attributed to his to his uh, to his parents. Um, but judging by his behavior, he might have actually have a malform of that, some type of mental disorder. Um, over like previous years, I've had discussions with people who kind of work on the streets and this and that. And I mean, this does happen. Like this, it happens so much. And um, it's not just like black cops doing this. It's um, I mean, white cops doing this. It's also black cops doing it. I've heard many stories when I was living in Atlanta. Black cops would kind of give kind of like a form of immunity to prostitutes for sexual favors. Um, mm -hmm. Not that that's right. I mean, that's not right at all. But and with that lifestyle, does you know you do have to you know kind of make deals like that at times to stay free and to continue to live under the system, which is sad. But um, I do realize it's an extension of slavery, and we're not that much further past that. As a matter of fact, slavery still exists. But um, yeah, I just wanted to just make that comment, just make everybody aware that, you know, they're, they're highlighting this story, but at the same time, it's going on in almost every, I know every major metropolitan city, but probably small towns uh, as well, and it's, it's, it's going on across the country. Um, that's all I had to say. I'll be listening to the rest of this show, and I'm tuning in later on this afternoon. Thank you. Y'all have a good day. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. I... I I do want to say something about what the brother just said, and I think it's important. Um, there are situations when police officers are using sexual favors to give immunity. That's illegal. Even if they come across a uh, woman who is a prostitute, and they say, hey, I'm going to, even if they say, I'm going to pay you, if you do this, I'll look at this way. I'm going to give you a little cash. We're going to call it a day. That's illegal. You're on duty. You can't do that. But what I want to point out in this case is that he's denying any sexual contact. He's saying nothing happened. He's not even using the defense of, well, we had consensual sex and I paid her, or we had consensual sex and I made an He's not even saying that. He's denying all sexual contact. He's saying nothing happened. He did nothing inappropriate, inappropriate or sexual with any of the women. Um, and I think that needs to be pointed out that he's not even trying to use the age-old defense. Well, you know, I did. I was off duty. It was consensual. I paid her or, you know, nothing like that. It's pure on denial that anything happened. He's saying, I would never touch them. I would never do that. Um, they're lying on me in total. We didn't even have any sexual contact. So I think that needs to be pointed out. Yeah. Right on. Uh, the person that dialed in, thank you for the uh, comment, uh, caller. Uh, the person that dialed in last four digits of uh, what is this? Five two three four. Five two three four. Did you have a question for Miss Grace Franklin? You should be with us. Uh, yes, I agree to you guys. I agree to Miss Franklin and all of the callers. Um, Miss Franklin, I just wanted to say before I ask my questions, um, what you just said really speaks to the fact that Daniel Holtzclaw truly understands how the system of white supremacy works in a way that he knew he could brutalize these women, and just on the strength of the fact that they were black women that he used who had backgrounds that they had, 
that the system would give him the kind of support that it seems that he's been getting. Um, the question, first question I wanted to ask was, have the defense uh, used racism in their defense of these black females who, who um, have been assaulted by this uh, ex-police officer? Has, has the defense used race as a reason? Yes, have they brought it up him? in the house? Yes, have yes, they brought that up in the house at all? Yeah, they have. They brought it up because that's part of the, their conspiracy theory. Is that okay. part of the reason that these women got together is that they were going to use the issue of race and um, and rape to get money out of the state and out of Daniel Holtzball. One of the things that the defense attorney said um, was that these women are calculating and they're trying to get additional money. Um, and he said, I will not allow that my, he said, I will not allow my client to be swept under the rug or convicted based on a bad cop theory that's happening throughout the nation. That's cold word for the Black Lives Matter movement. That's cold word for all the black people are mad at police officers. They're not going to use my white client to extend that. They're not going to use him as a scapegoat. So he has brought up the fact that they're black and he, his defendant is white. He brought it up in part of his conspiracy theory. Thank you. And um, also, would, do you think or would you agree with, with uh, this statement that it is racism that allowed his father to get away with approaching these victims outside of court? Because that could be considered jury inter- intimidation um, for him, his father being a former officer as well, aggressively approaching these females outside of the court, outside of the court or even in the court for that matter. I think that has more to do with, um, I think part of it is racism. I think that is an element. But it's also primarily because he is ex-law enforcement and because he has those ties. Law enforcement is such a close-tied community that they know each other and they give each other passes in ways that they would not give any other person. Um, I think there is an element of racism because he is white. He's an older white man. Um, And I think the majority of it, is because he is ex-law enforcement, and they do give each other passes on things that they would never allow for anybody else. Um, That would not be allowable for any other case for a defendant's parent to approach a victim. I don't care what he's saying. I don't care what he's doing. That's that's inappropriate. That doesn't happen. Um, But you won't see that in the news. You won't see that reported. I'm glad you got to say that on the show. My final question is, do you think that Daniel Holt's cause being fired prior to being convicted speaks to his guilt? I, in my opinion, it does. Um, and it speaks to, in my opinion, that somebody or, or people at a higher level in that police department understand exactly what he did or might have insight into what he did. But that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I, that's my final I, question. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I think that's an absolute indicator of his guilt. The fact that the police department fired him that quickly was based on their internal investigation. That means that the evidence that they have is so clear, so concise, that one of the most powerful unions 
in this country, which is the police union, did not fight it. And if they fought, if they didn't fight it, that means the evidence is clear as day and he's guilty. Otherwise, the police union would have fought for his job, and they didn't. They refused because it is clear. You're in areas that you weren't supposed to be. If the victim says, I was on 2nd and 3rd Street at 12 o'clock, his GPS is showing him on 2nd and 3rd Street at 12 o'clock. Um, the lead detective, Kim Davis, the interview that they played in court, Kim Davis' interrogation of him, clearly she was disgusted. Clearly she believed he was guilty. Clearly, the police department, uh, the chief of police, believes that he is guilty of the crime. And I think it's a strong indication of the evidence. I think it's a strong in indication of his guilt. And I think it's a strong in indication that the police department knows they have some questions that they're going to have to answer as well. As soon as we get done with this case, we have some questions for the police department about monitoring your officers, about monitoring where they're supposed to be. Why isn't there someone making sure that they, why isn't there an alarm system or some type of trigger to say, wait a minute, he's supposed to be on this side, he's over here. Why, is he keep, why does he keep running people's names but not reporting the stops? What is going on? Why is he accessing the system after he's off duty? What is going on? I mean, those questions have to be asked about the police department. So I think that it's a clear indication of his guilt, and I think they move swiftly. Um, I also think they move the more swiftly to protect themselves from the questions that are going to come. Mm. I don't want to appreciate the uh, questions, caller. Uh, before I get to our next caller, I just wanted to to ask Kim Davis, uh, Officer Kim Davis, she testified on Friday, unless I've been misinformed. Uh, what specifically about her testimony uh, led you to believe that she was disgusted uh, with Daniel Holslaw? She did this two-hour interview when he was a, still an enforcement officer. This is uh, back in 2014 uh, when they showed the video of the uh, mm -hmm. their conversation that they had on tape. What about her testimony led you to believe she was disgusted? Kim Davis um, went and interviewed um, the victims. Many of the victims felt very supported by Kim Davis, by, by Detective Kim Davis, when they were speaking with her initially. In the interrogation, after the video stopped playing, um, one of the questions that the defense attorney asked her, because he's, he's, so, he's so clever, he's very... <laughs> He's a good defense attorney. Um, he denied any, you know, sexual contact. He denied touching the victim. He denied putting his hands anywhere. And um, and when he did say, I don't remember, one time he said, I don't remember, when the defense attorney asked her, why is it important if he denied it that, that whole time, and then he, for one time, he only answered that he didn't know. And she said, because it changes his story. The aggression that she answers the defense attorney with, the pure on, he's guilty. That's why. 
because he did this. That's why. Um, she's very stern and very uh, convicted in her belief that he did this. In the interview, the way that she's interrogating him, you will forget he's a police officer, even though he was in uniform, because it, it, it became very much so about getting him to, trying to get him to admit to doing something. Um, Kim Davis has been on the forefront of getting the information out, of getting him prosecuted. Uh, her stories have never changed. She has been very uh, helpful with the victims. She has been supportive of them. She believed them um, when other officers didn't. Uh, I think that she sees him clearly, and her responses to his defense attorney shows that. She, she has no doubt that he did that based on her testimony, based on the way he interrogated her, based on her interactions with the victims. She believes he did it based on evidence. And, uh, and we're very, and we're, we're thankful that Kim Davis, Detective Kim Davis, had the wherewithal to stand up and give that information because she didn't have to. She could have whitewashed it. She could have, you know, brushed it under the rug. But she understood and understands the predator, predatory and escalating behavior that he was, he was showing. He could have killed somebody. And he would have as this went on. Um, so just very, very grateful that Kim Davis was, is able to stand up and speak for the women and give the, the evidence, give testimony that doesn't waver. And it's important because she is a police officer. So that's one of his own saying, no, he did it. He did it. So maybe my feeling of um, it's not just the testimony she gave today. It's been some other information I've gotten about her as a detective and how she's handled the case. So Kim Davis is, because um, without her, she's the initial uh, detective that started the internal investigation. Without her, we don't know if it would have been investigated internally. Uh, caller in Michigan, I guess I would give a commendation to our listeners as well, because we are broadcasting way out of our normal broadcast time. We're normally on in the evening. Uh, we broadcasted early today. We actually have two programs, but we're on early today and lots of people participating live. I think this is a extremely important case and they're here early uh, in the day to uh, get information. And again, glad to have Miss Franklin with us. Caller in Michigan, you should be with us. Feel free. Um, good afternoon. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, this is very informative. I'm appreciative that I'm able to uh, listen in and that your guest is on. I do have one quick question based off of a um, uh, statement that the guest just made. Uh, you said that uh, Daniel Holtzclaw is flat out denying any of the allegations, so it's basically... Um, their word against his has has uh he taken a polygraph test or a lie detector test i mean i'm just curious has that been brought up 
his, I'm, I'm not aware of any polygraph, polygraph that he's taken. Um, he did offer his DNA sample immediately, um, but there's not any record from my understanding of a polygraph, and he didn't offer that from my understanding. Um, the only thing he offered uh, in his, you know, initially was the DNA sample to say that, oh, it wasn't me, and then we found out, yeah, that is your DNA, sir. Okay, well, that was my question. Again, I'm um, so glad that you're taking time out to share this information with us, and I will mute myself. Thanks. Thank you. For sure. Context of white supremacy. Uh, To the caller who was uh, talking about the white people who have been uh, supporting Holtzclaw, I've definitely brought that up uh, because he had a GoFundMe mm-hmm. page where he raised uh, mm-hmm. approximately $10,000 within days mm-hmm. uh, when all this first broke in, in 2014 and they the GoFundMe people shut the page down because this was happening concurrently when Daniel Holtz, excuse me, when Darren Wilson uh, when he got about a half million dollars uh, after killing Michael Brown Jr. And so there was a lot of conversation about this. Should we be raising money for these type of people? Uh, mm-hmm. But the white people that were doing this, a lot of that information is still online. You can see some of the tweets. Uh, you can see you can go to the uh, Facebook groups that they have uh, set up. I think one of them is Justice for Daniel Holtzclaw, which is yeah. absurd in and of itself. Uh, and I think you can put in the tag that I think uh, was mentioned already, uh, Free the Claw, and just kind of see the mm-hmm. history of what people have attached to that uh one of the you can go to okc artists for justice because i think some of the trolls have made their way to that page uh to leave a comment or two or to complain about what they've had to say uh one of the ones that i snatched uh this is mark miller uh he had a uh the photograph attached to it was a white male uh he said if those whores i mean women were telling the truth you'd see facebook sites entitled justice for mary jane or whatever you don't because they are liars. Someone put them up to it, probably promised them money and they joined in, but they forgot to stop and get their story straight. And now they are the ones who are exposed. I hope to get I hope to get to meet you and shake your hand soon. Daniel, uh, this is uh, Mark Miller. And he left. This is still online. You can go see his comment or go to his uh, page. Some of the, the, as I said, some of these folks uh, coming to troll uh, and perhaps practice racism, even on the OKC Artists for Justice page, uh, where people have complained and said, "Well, why are you using uh, Black Women Matter? Why are you using that hashtag?" and and complained about some of the other things that you all have been reporting about this case. Uh, can you just respond to some of the things that that people have either been saying or why they've been challenging you about, you know, saying Black Women Matter? Well, with the Black Women Matter, the let me let me address the the whole cloud support first. Um, it is ridiculous. He still has supporters out there. They're not as vocal now. They are not as vocal as the trial has started, as uh, as evidence has started to come out. They're not as vocal, but they're still out there. He still has supporters on his page. They did shut down the GoFundMe account, but I'm sure he's still receiving financial contributions. Um, People are supporting him. He has at least twice the amount of followers that we have on our page. He's, he is a symbol for those people who use white supremacy and who believe that white people are under attack. He is their poster child. So a lot of support, 
uh, a lot of disparaging of the women, you know, once again, calling them hoes, you know, saying that they conspired and, and somebody put them up to it, and which I've never heard of this. I don't know. I didn't know these things happened. Never heard of it in my life. Um, with the Black Women Matter, what I do want to say is we've had pushback from our own community, um, people who are questioning why we are using black, why we're using Black Women Matter instead of Black Lives Matter which is an internal discussion that we have to have sometimes primarily with black men um, who are questioning why we aren't following, falling under the same umbrella so we can keep that under one uh, issue. And we've had to explain it a few times. And basically the reason we use black women matter is because we're talking about this specific case. And this specific case is different from um, cases where you have loss of life from police brutality. Uh, Michael Brown, uh, Eric Garner, those are all cases that have to deal with uh, the loss of life in police custody. We're talking about the systematic sexual abuse that police officers have imposed on black women and particularly this case. So when we're using that, we're saying that black women are being targeted. Black women specifically um, are being used by officers for sex against their will, which is rape. It happens to all women, but it happens to black women disproportionately. And that is why we use the hashtag. It's not to separate ourselves from all from Black Lives Matter. It's not to diminish any other portion of the black community. It's not saying we matter more than anyone else. We're not saying that, that we only matter. We're saying that this issue is not taken care of sometimes under the larger umbrella Um and that we have to stand up specifically for this issue as well. As a community, we have to learn how to multitask. We gotta we gotta cover a few, you know, a few areas at the same time. So it's not to exclude, it's just to say we need a spotlight on this specific type of terrorism and aggression and tactic against black women. So that's what I mean. Which is disheartening that we've had to have that conversation with with uh, people in, in the black community. But, you know, it's okay. We'll have it. We'll discuss it. Right on. Right on. Well said. Well said. Um, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, she will be visiting with us later today uh, at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Uh, excuse me, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, uh, she'll be with us. And I was talking with her about uh, the trial uh, this week in the all-white jury and blah, blah, blah. And uh, she said something. I have a sound clip to go with this. I just wanted to get your response. She said this uh, degradation, this abuse of these 
uh, black females and it not being talked about. And then you get this all white jury at the degrading way that they have been treated, uh, victimized again uh, throughout the first week of this trial. And that's pretty much what I expect it's going to be for the next month or however long it lasts. She connected that with the projection that we get on a weekly basis, Thursday nights of black females. And the clip that I was going to play, this is from uh, How to Get Away with Murder. Uh, and she highlighted Viola Davis, black female. She just won an Emmy for her role in this show, How to Get Away with Murder. Uh, she said, now, if you just look at Scandal, you look at How to Get Away with Murder, and you look at the projection of black females, this tells you a lot about why this continues to happen, why this is a long-running tradition, the sexual terrorism and abuse of black females, even black female children, uh, under the system of racism, white supremacy. This is uh, from season one, How to Get Away with Murder, just to set the clip up, and it's really short. Uh, this is uh, Viola Davis, uh, her character Annalise Keating, she's talking to her white husband, Sam. They, they've had a uh, disagreement, loud argument, and so this is how her white husband, uh, this is him talking to her to conclude uh, their argument before he leaves. And then we'll get Miss Franklin's response. You're a monster. Monster, huh? Is that all you got? You could do better than that. You want the truth. You're nothing but a piece of ass. That's what I saw when I first talked to you in the office that day. Because I knew you'd put out... That's all you're really good for. Dirty, rough sex. I'm too ashamed to tell anyone about it. That's how foul you are, you disgusting slut. That's How to Get Away with Murder, Emmy-winning role, Viola Davis. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Dr. Welsing, connecting the... the projection the media projection of black females in these shows to what's happening with this case i think i think as black women we're definitely um under attack in the media uh, and i i struggle with the shows how to get away with murder scandal and even mary jane um as an artist i believe viola davis is an exceptional actress um i think that her role is supposed to be complex, but it's but it's not because it's a stereotype. How? Why is it that we can't be put together well like other characters, female leads? Why? Why is it that our sexual predilections are ridiculous? Why is it that we can't? be put together and perfect. What's wrong with that? You know, there are plenty of black women who are educated because when we become educated, it, it's even worse. I mean, this year for how to get away with murder, Viola Davis is just all over the map. I mean, she's a, you're a, a, a defense attorney, you're a professor and you're a hot mess. Really? Is that how that works? For scandal, you're, you are a fixer, you are an intelligent woman, and uh, an elitist in many ways, but you're sleeping with a married man who's the president. What is that? What, what is that? What are you saying? Once again, that's that stereotype that underneath it all, we're, we just want to have good sex and be 
and be just sexually everywhere. It's that same stereotype. We've just added a bunch of degrees to it, big houses, and we still don't have a man. It's it's disturbing. Um, I think it. the media, I can't think of one image of a woman who's a lead in a show that's a black woman that doesn't have all of these imperfections that lead to sexual um, promiscuity, basically. You know, even with Scandal, that character, she's sleeping with the president, then she's sleeping with the black senator, then she's sleeping with the... I, it's, it's, it's an attack. It's once again making a sexual being, even if we are not sexual beings, let me rephrase that, making us sexual caricatures. Um, even if we're educated, even if we're successful, nobody loves us. Nobody wants us as we are. Um, we're always damaged, and we're always available for use. That's a problem in the media, um, and it's a problem. Um, and it's a problem as far as how we're treated in society, how people look at us. You either have the Nicki Minaj situation or you have Viola Davis's character. Um, and either one are not uh, reflections of reality of women, of black women. And, and it is a shame and it is, it is disheartening because I had hope. I must say I was one of those people who had hope when I saw how to get away with murder, and then I saw Viola Davis, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be wonderful. Mm. This has turned out to be not as good as I thought it was going to be because it's still another projection of black women as, as, um, as damaged. Why can't we be Supergirl? Why can't we, you know, do all, be all, and get it all together in one hour? Why, why can't that happen for black women? Why can't we fix it all, do it all, mother, be sexy, have a husband, be happy, and in one hour, get it all back together? No. For us, it's just foolishness all season. We're just out of control. I, I, we have to do better in the media. And, as, and when we have control of shows, we have to do better. Um, oh, that's my take on that. I'm sorry. No apologies needed. No apologies needed. I, I agree. I, I cannot think of a lead white actress uh, who is talked to that, and by her husband no less, uh, talked to in that manner. Uh, and that's and that was like one of the big season one. I think that was the mid season finale. So that was a huge episode, millions of live viewers. Uh, and mm -hmm. I said, wow, that sounds exactly the same way that they're talking about Daniel Holtzclaw's black female victims. Uh, you mm -hmm. guilty disgusting slut and, and all this it it exact I mean I could have put these words in some of the folks who've been supporting uh Daniel Holtzclaw yeah. it would have fit fit in seamlessly. Um and I, he's saying that to a, a fully accomplished woman. Exactly. So, so so if you're not that good good Lord help you. <laughs> you're just absolutely nothing. I mean uh, that was a rough scene to watch. I remember that scene. I remember watching that and thinking, ooh, ooh, no, did you say foul? Did you just call her foul? <laughs> exactly. 
that, yeah, I remember that. That was that was a little shocking for the system. I remember watching that. Mm. And and for even though I don't, I I can pick from how to get away with murder just because I've seen more of that than I have scandal. But the limited amount of scandal, I could have picked one from scandal too that would have sounded exactly the same uh, and would have fit in the same way. But Dr. Wilson will give a comment on that. I did want to ask real quick. Uh, we had one other person dialed in with a question. Jesse Jackson, unless I'm misinformed, Reverend Jesse Jackson, he was in town to talk about this case. Is that correct? Um. I- I'm not aware of that. Oh. If he was here to talk about it, um, I, I, I'm, I don't recall that. <laughs> oh. I don't want to say he didn't. He may have come through here um, and talked about it, um, but I don't believe so off the top of my head. I don't think. There is a pastor, Jesse Jackson, or Reverend Jesse Jackson, who's a local local uh, pastor here, that... Um, that sometimes when his name gets in the media, they assume it's Reverend Jesse Jackson, the other Jesse Jackson. But I'm not aware of him coming down. Okay. If he was here, I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying I'm not aware of it. Okay. I think it was the local. I I think I made that error. I saw the name. It was like, oh, wow, Jesse Jackson was there. Like, wow, that's yeah. <laughs> getting some attention on it. But I guess it was the local Jesse Jackson that was there. Shout out to him. That's great. He's doing work. That's great. Don't want to minimize that. But I was just confused about which, which Jackson it was. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a local pastor here uh, named Jesse Jackson, who um, we had a meeting with last week, well, actually Thursday, about um, about trying to get some more people in the community active, you know, trying to get the clergy out. Um, on the east side of Oklahoma, it's, it's like every other black city in America. Guess what? Who runs the black side of the city? Black churches. So we want to get their faces out there. We want to get more people out there. We want to get them in the courtroom. You know, we want to get more people in the community active in supporting the case in any way they can. Everybody can't come outside and protest. Everybody is not going to be on Twitter. Well, maybe if you have a few hours in the middle of the day, come down to the courthouse, be there, you know, and support the victims. And, and, and that can be enough. That can be what you do. So he was trying to help us uh, mobilize some additional people in the community, and, and we appreciate him uh, stepping up and doing that. Right on, right on. Uh, the caller that dialed in at 6492-6492, did you have a question for Miss Grace Franklin? You should be with us. Hello, everyone. Uh, can you hear me? Morning, Joy. We can hear you. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to um, um, thank you for having this program and to your guests for doing all her work. Uh, with regard to Daniel Hoekstra and um, to kind of co-sign her comments about how, you know, damaging, you know, having those images of especially professional black women. So there are no black women in, you know, in, at any level that should be respected. And, um, and, that, and that I kind of take to heart because I run into that on occasion with my job. And so... You know, so I'm very careful with everything, how I dress, you know. Uh, I even stopped wearing, like, um, uh, nail polish, the fancy kind. I just wear just mm-hmm. very, you know, 
playing it's, it's because I saw one of them staring at my hands like that, you know. So, mm-hmm. so you know, and I think it's very dangerous, you know, especially with their attitude that, that you know, we're basically garbage and they can do whatever they want. I mean, I, I don't understand. There's no amount of money, even with a woman of her caliber, Viola Davis, that she had to allow them to, to even film that scene, you know. I mean, it's just degrading to her personally and to the rest of us, you know, by, you know, association because, you know, my my experience, white people believe what they see on TV, especially, you know, negative images of black people. So I've been doing what I can as far as, um, you know, retweeting your stuff and letting people know. And... um, I had another thought because there's a lot of people using um, Periscope. Do you know about Periscope? Yes, we actually um, yeah we will be on Periscope on Monday, eight thirty okay. time. Okay, good. So so I'll uh, promote those videos because video is very powerful, as you as you know too. And mm-hmm. um, and I don't know the when that father was running around talking to the witnesses the. Uh, court people didn't do anything they didn't care it wasn't at the it wasn't at the trial this is this is okay. pre-trial so we're talking about okay. things that happened pre-trial um okay where he was you know would pop up and let's say a, a witness may be going down to the district attorney's office he'd pop up outside yeah so this is pre-trial. Hmm. how would he know well, well, it seems like to me that wouldn't be allowed, though, right? When doesn't that? It, it shouldn't um, be. It shouldn't be. Um, but you know, it it did occur. Um, but it shouldn't be. Uh, and it's pre-trial. I think now they're very uh, they're very cautious about the interaction between his his supporters and family and anybody else in the courtroom. So um, that wouldn't occur now. But it did happened during pre-trial, before trial started. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm angry about the lack of, you know, media coverage, too, but I guess that's to be expected. I think um, Roland Martin has had a couple of uh, reports on it, though. Yeah, I was actually on, yeah, I was on his show um, Mm -hmm. on Thursday morning, Um, and just from from that response, because, you know, it's, a, you know, it's on television, so you get video of right. your thing. Right. Um, yeah. it, it's been a boost from, from just that. Anytime I'm on a radio show, anytime I'm doing something like this, there's always a boost. There's always uh, more followers, more uh, Twitter, more, more of the story being out there. So the more that we can be in the media, uh, the better, and the more people share it. The more, um, the more it's out there, it becomes newsworthy. We can force things to become right. national stories. We just right. have to keep it in the in the forefront and keep it going and keep the momentum and let it get bigger and bigger. And then, and then we're there. We're there. Right. Right. It takes a little work on our part, but yeah, we we can kind of uh, push things yeah. out there. I just wanted to say. Thank you, and keep up the good work. And I, it just breaks my heart that, you know, these women have to go through this. And, and actually, I tweeted all the National Now, Lisa Bloom, Gloria Allred. None of them have an answer, so. so. 
They don't, you know, it's like I think about Ida B. Wells. Ain't, I'm a woman, ain't I a woman? Mm-hmm. When, I, when they act like this, you know. Yes. I will um, mute my line, and you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Uh, and good to hear from you as well, Joy. Uh, Thomas in New York, did you have another question you wanted to get in before we uh, get ready to wrap things up? You should be with us. Thomas in New York, did you have another question? Um, no, my call dropped, so I'll call back in. Um, so, yep, yep, you guys have been right on point. If I could just add, um, you know, you touched on um, Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder. You know, we don't have a lot of um, television shows where we're the lead stars. But, um, man, on reality TV, it's even worse. Um, I mean, the, the way that we're portrayed there, it's like if you don't believe it from watching uh, – the, the, the written television shows, and they have this reality show that just say, yep, that's, that's true. That's how they are. Um, that's all. Um, but thank you, Gus. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, I go ahead, go reality, ahead. I was going to say, I think reality TV is more detrimental to the younger generation than anything else because they aspire for fame and they aspire to be popular. And so they believe those caricatures of us will get them where they need to be. And it is, it is destroying our ability to be creative, to create scenarios and stories that will uplift us, because we have a whole generation who hasn't seen it at all, unless they saw a rerun of a different world or something. So reality television is is still a scripted show. They just put all the caricatures in place. It's always a smart talking black girl. It's all and and she's angry. The angry young black cussing out everybody woman who usually doesn't have a boyfriend. Or you have um and then you have the black male that's on there. And the black male and the black female never have a good relationship if they do it's because one of them uh, has no interest in the other. Um, you have that. Um, she's always jealous or angry with the blonde white girl in the house. Um, and if it's an all-black show, then there's, there's the class issue. You have the college girl, you have the girl that bartends, and then you have the girl who's a stripper. It's all the same, and they all have problems with each other. There, it's, it's just an onslaught of negative images of black women. We're never complete. We're never happy. We're never whole. We're never um, in love. We're never any of those things that every other woman gets to be on TV. We never get that in media. Um, It's rare. I'm not going to say never, but it's rare. It's not the norm. So what, so what are we saying to our young people? What are we saying to our young women and the young men? Um, for young men, we're a headache off the top. You know, that's insanity. And for young women, you want to be anything else but black. Like, it's, it's just so destructive to our self-image um, of how we as black women can be powerful and beautiful and own our own sexuality and be loved and love somebody and be sweet and kind. We're not always popping our head, cussing folks out. That's, that's, that's not how we live. 
and and we just need that represented more in media. Ashe, Ashe, what uh, you said you all are doing Periscope this coming Monday, Monday morning. Is that what's going down? Periscope, uh, 8.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. We'll be on Candace Liger. Uh, you can follow us on Candace Liger, and that's C-A-N-D-A-C-E, and then Liger is L-I-G-E-R. Uh, Look for us. We'll be on. Um, she is the co-founder uh, for OKC Artists for Justice, so we're going to answer some questions live. We're going to talk about the case live, and, and if you are a follower on Periscope, you'll be able to replay it. Uh, later, if you're not able to watch it live, but but yeah, we're, we're going to use technology. <laughs> we're going to use video and, and everything we need to, to to kind of get more information out about this case to um, to really keep the conversation going about this issue, which is police um, police use of sexual terrorism tactics of uh, terrorizing black women, terrorizing poor women, terrorizing women who they think won't report. Um, women who are incarcerated are are very vulnerable. They don't have any rights. And guess who's the most incarcerated women? <laughs> that would be us. So, you know, we 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 have some things we need to talk about in order to protect women in order to protect black women in this society, in this culture, and to say we won't stand for it, and to say we know it's happening. Just because you all won't say it doesn't mean we won't say it, uh, and we won't fight against it. So, yeah, so check us out on Periscope on Monday, 8.30. And then on November 17th, uh, we are going to be in front of the courthouse again. Uh, we will be having another protest uh, that will happen from uh, 9.30 a.m. to 11. And then we will uh, attempt to head into the courtroom. You know, you never know what may happen, but November 17th is the next large rally that we're having uh, down at the courthouse. And hopefully that will be during the time that the defense is, is, uh, is in motion, that the defense is, is preparing and in trial. That's what we hope for, uh, is to let it be known while he's up there, while his... Um, attorney is mounting his defense that we don't believe anything that you all are saying in there. <laughs> that, that we already know. This is you are a rapist. Um, you're a terrorist in our community and and, and we're not gonna stand for it. So November seventeenth is the next physical uh protest. Um but on Monday, eight thirty AM to the standard time, we will be on Periscope talking about the case. Outstanding. I will make sure to share. Um, it's a little early uh, with the two-hour time difference. I don't know if I'll be uh, live, but I definitely will uh, make sure that I join Periscope so I can watch uh, the recording after it's done. And I will be sharing uh, the updates. I've been tweeting and retweeting and sharing stuff from y'all's uh, page over the past week. Like I said, it's been an outstanding resource. Just uh, I got the information first from OKC Artists for Justice that the jury was all white. Nobody else had said that uh, in a mainstream media or other outlets. I got it from them first. I would highly encourage listeners go to the page 
like it or you can follow them on Twitter if you do that instead or do both. Uh, but they have great information. They'll keep you up to date on what's going down with the trial. Uh, and I'm trying to, to get out as much information on my social media accounts as well and encourage folks. That's something easy you can do. Even if you're, you know, other side of the planet, you can, you know, just do a like, a share, a retweet real easy. Takes a couple seconds. It just helps get the word out so that more people know what's going down uh, in Oklahoma City. Um, we are. Can I say mm-hmm. one thing? Before yes, I ma'am. Yes, moment. ma'am. Um, so I want to thank you. Thank you, Gus, for, for doing this. Um, and you did it last year when we first started uh, for us to get on the air, to talk about it, to reach listeners across the country. It is invaluable. And without you and people like you who are keeping, you know, a, a, a count of the pulse that's going on in this country in different cases, different scenarios, we wouldn't even know what's happening across the country. People in New York wouldn't even know this is happening in Oklahoma, and we wouldn't know the things that are happening in California. Um, so I, I commend you for what you do daily, and, and I thank you as an activist, as a person of the community and the black community for doing this, for keeping the information out there, and you don't have to. Um, and, and we are so thankful for people like you who allow us to talk about this across the country with people and, and, and reach out and, and retweeting and keeping us alive on social media and checking out um, our information. I, I just want to say thank you, brother, for that um, and keeping this on the forefront. Oh, man, it's... That is the job. I'm happy to do it and uh, hope to do more uh, to write about it. And and I hope we can have you back on the program to get updates as the trial continues so you can keep us informed, because I know tons of our listeners, they have been following this and hoping that we could have you back on the program. So we definitely want to continue the effort and inspire more people to be involved. But, yeah, we hope we can have you back again, as I said, uh, soon to to get more of the updates and let us know what you all have been doing. This this I feel like is our major assignment that we should be doing. So happy to do it and, and looking forward to doing more work. Uh, to get the word out on this case uh, go to the website OKC Artists for Justice the Facebook page the Twitter follow the case uh, that day. anybody if you're bored you don't have anything to do you have some free time there you go that's right there extremely important one of the most important things that's happening right now you can invest a little bit of time each day uh, and just sharing information getting updates uh, and being informed about this case uh, we are going to continue to watch and uh, appreciate the work that you all are doing Miss Franklin uh, I will definitely uh, be in touch and we'll hopefully we can have you back on uh, real soon to get uh, additional updates on the case just stay as safe as possible uh, as you can and for you and all of your members down there I hope you all stay inspired and continue to do this outstanding work Absolutely. Thank you so much. And it would be my pleasure to come back anytime and talk about the case or whatever we need to talk about. And, uh, and once again, I thank you and your listeners and, and everybody who is keeping this story in the forefront. We need you guys, um, and we really appreciate you guys. And, uh, and, and we're going to keep watching. We're going to keep an eye on it and make sure that this is uh, handled correctly. Ashe, Ashe, co-founder of OKC Artists for Justice, uh, Miss Grace Franklin, joining us live from Oklahoma City. Thank you for sharing a bit of your Sunday, I guess that Sunday afternoon <laughs> for you. Thank yes. you uh, for sharing your time. And we definitely we will have you back again soon. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Have a great afternoon. For sure. You too. OK, bye bye. Good evening. Good afternoon. 
context of white supremacy, my mind is still not rolling right because we're not accustomed to the early morning programs, but I'm getting there. But I, I, this, this, we had to do uh, the program uh, today. I definitely wanted to make sure that folks were aware. Uh, that the first week of the trial had happened and to try to get as much information out as possible. I really wish that this was, uh, that they were like doing the live stream the way that they were doing like with Trayvon Martin. And I think even uh, with the Jordan Davis trial uh, where you could watch, you didn't have to be uh, there in the courtroom and have you could be abreast of what's going on. I really wish they had that because I would be watching and, and taking notes with all this. But uh, we will do our best to compensate. And uh, I don't know if we could do it next week because next week is our once a month early program. But maybe... Um, Maybe we don't have to do it on Sunday. We can see if we can get Miss Franklin back after this week to kind of get an update on what happened this week with the trial. If we can't do it um, sometime after this week, maybe we can do a two-week update. Then there'll be more stuff, and plus they'll have had their rally. But I'm going to see if we can get her back on later this month to uh, get an additional update on what's taking place with the trial. And, again, I can harp on it more. If you are a black person, if you're in Oklahoma, man, if you can get a few minutes an hour if you can take a day where you don't have to work or anything or don't have other responsibilities to go and support go to the trial take notes you can do some tweeting and what have you have a blog you can do the live blogging any of that would be super helpful uh, even if you're not in Oklahoma you can write you can do a video people that have YouTube channels uh, if you have your own program you could do a program on it anything uh, just to get the word out so that people are informed uh, aspects of the case that you think are important uh, some of the, te- the the fraternal order of police not backing him. That's he is so many things that you could point out uh, in this case that are important just to make sure that it does not get shoved uh, under the rug. Um, but that right there, make sure I harp on that. The uh, fraternal order of police, I think she talked about that, the police unions not backing him. And that's been the case, I think, from when this all broke, when he was fired. They didn't do all the, wait a minute, Patrick Lynch. And folks, remember what happened with the Eric Garner case where Patrick Lynch and all of them came out and uh, were defending Daniel Pantaleo and these other race soldiers. That didn't happen uh, with this case. They looked at it and said, oh. <laughs> no way we're cool you can let him go no problem and they haven't defended him i haven't seen any of that that right there also should stand out and shouldn't be minimized but do what you can to get people informed and really appreciate because we've had a lot of listeners who uh, have shared who called in to talk about how they have shared and just brought this case up with other black people in their area to get them informed to get them to research so that they know about this uh people that have called the court clerk's office in Oklahoma. I've had multiple people. I called myself uh, to get information. Really appreciate that. That is black self-respect and viewing anything like this. That is an attack on these black females. That is an attack on all of us and doing as much as we can uh, to work against this. Uh, We will be continuing to talk about this case uh, later on today. Dr. Frances Cresswellsing, she'll be uh, on the program at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, 6 p.m. Central and 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, She'll be back with us. As I said, when I spoke to her and I was talking about this, she immediately said people should think about this when they're watching Scandal and they're watching how to get away with murder, uh, where they're projecting black females as whores and sluts and disgusting and all that that you heard in the clip from uh, how to get away with murder, which she got an Emmy for. You should think about that in connection with the Holtzclaw case. But Dr. Welsing will make that clear uh, a little later on, and we'll touch on some of the other news items that happened uh, over this week. Uh, I would give uh, an opportunity for folks to chat, but I am trying to uh, preserve uh, my energy since we'll be right back in a few hours. So if you have any comments, you can just make them 
later. Take a note. We'll have more time uh, throughout the month to talk about this case. Just make any notes if you have anything that uh, you want to share or comment on, because uh, we'll be bringing this up uh, routinely for the rest of the month and probably on into December. Uh, again, just want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, live, because this is not our normal broadcast time. We had lots of callers, lots of live listeners. Uh, really appreciate that, and that to me just evidences that a lot of people do recognize that this is an important case uh, and that they want to make sure that they have as much information as possible about it. So thanks to all the folks who uh, tuned in and I hope it was worthy of your time and energy, your Sunday morning that you could have been uh, in the house of the Lord or whatever else you do, uh, watching football, (laughs) whatever else you do uh, with your Sunday morning. I guess you can go do that now uh, for the next two or three hours and then tune back in with Dr. Welsing uh, joins us. I think this is her 31st visit uh, on the program. Always a hoot uh, to hear from her. I'm sure she'll have some constructive things to share. Uh, with that, if you have any questions, uh, if you have a problem, if you can't find something in the archives, if you're trying to find uh, the first time that Miss Franklin was a guest on the program, it was uh, March of this year. If you can't find it, drop me an email until justice at gmail.com and I can uh Put it in your hands easily. Uh, you can just, if you uh, do a search for the cows, OKC Artists for Justice, it should pop up uh, easily. Uh, it's on the Black Talk Radio page. should be in iTunes and Stitcher. Lots of options for where you can access it. And uh, I'm going to see if I can put that on YouTube as well. Uh, with that, invest if you think the program is constructive. Racism-notes.blogspot.com Racism-notes.blogspot.com Listener-supported counter racism radio uh you'll see the paypal button uh, on the top right corner of the blog if you're not into paypal just drop me an email and we will get you a physical mailing address thanks again to all the folks who have supported and thanks to all the folks who called in live i really appreciated hearing from everybody great questions and uh, we will stay on the grind with this case remain codified this you can think of this case right there when we end the program every time and i say sobriety would be best under conditions of war you can think of this case i say that consistently you never know when it's going to be daniel holt's claw that's stopping you or your child or your mom or your son or your brother your niece whomever it happens to be your mom father uh you want to be lucid and clear thinking so that you can make the best possible decision you do not want to be uh, where you're inebriated and you can't think straight uh, and have the misfortune of bumping into one of these race soldiers, sexual predators. Man, I mean, you talk about compounding a horrendous situation. That's why I say that at the end of every program, sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. If you're going to be behind the wheel, even if you're going to be a passenger or a pedestrian, Man, you want to do everything you can, realizing that we are under attack as black people. And you constantly have to be aware of that. You constantly have to be alert uh, so that you can make logical decisions to protect yourself and people that you might be responsible for. Uh, With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. Yeah.
Shut a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.